I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I am here today for the second round of our four-person podcast with uh, none other than Sean Latimer. Hello. Mr. Drew Dill. Hello. And my favorite, Leslie Ray. Hello, everyone. Thank you for saying I'm your favorite. Yeah, you are my favorite. So um, today I wrote an article called Moving the Ball Downfield. I started the article with uh, an analogy about sports. I'm a big sports fan. If you're not a big sports fan, I'm really sorry that you're just going to have to endure this part. But uh, I was talking about the beginning of the article that there's a huge difference between my two favorite sports, basketball and football. And it's a difference... I really haven't really thought about a lot until I wrote this article. And here's kind of what I articulated is that in football, there's defense and then there's offense. And if you play offense, unless you're Deion Sanders, you typically don't play defense. You do one or the other. The roles are extremely defined. Now, how is basketball different? The way that the game of basketball works is that you're responsible for playing offense and defense. Most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Uh, like we said in the article is that there, there will be players that have uh, specialties that are more leaning towards offense than defense. But, Sean, that's actually my point is that uh, you and I, we play pickup basketball, and there is an allure to playing offense that sometimes you want to just rest on defense so that you can shoot the ball and, and whatever. Uh, and I relate that back to investing because when you build a portfolio, I think you need to have a football portfolio, not a basketball portfolio. And what I mean by that is that you need to draw the lines and differentiate what positions or investments or strategies are offense versus defense. Um, if you have something trying to do both at the same time, like basketball, uh, sometimes those lines get too blurred and the portfolio uh, doesn't work as well as if you had some clear definition or the understanding. Now, that might not give the, the most extreme clarity at this point in the podcast, but I want you to keep listening as we talk through this because we're going to give you examples of when we talk to clients and the type of things that they own and why the importance of understanding uh, the purpose of each position matters in a portfolio. And it kind of works it is a really good analogy because when you look at sports, offense is typically or is typically celebrated more than defense. You know, it's more fun to hit home runs or to score more points in a basketball game, and defense is typically celebrated less. But it's definitely just as important. It's kind of the same thing when you look at a portfolio: the names that had double-digit returns in the year compared to the names that didn't lose money during bad times. They aren't celebrated the same, but they're they both are definitely role players. I think that's a great way to put it because in David Bonson's book, uh, A Case for Dividend Growth, one chart that he puts in there for a 40-year period, he's comparing utility stocks and tech stocks. Uh, what's more interesting? Tech stocks. But what he's showing is that the return when you're accounting for dividend was exactly the same. So sometimes uh, the flash and excitement uh, doesn't always play out as the most important part that offense and defense um, are both important. Yeah, I would agree with largely with what you guys are both saying. I like the offense and defense illustration. Baseball guy myself, so I... I, I thinking, knew you were going to get upset about this. <laughs> I, I'm not upset. I'm not upset. I, I just... Baseball, it's uh, it's it's even clearer than football because in... And I was I, kind of playing on this uh, analogy more, but in football, the defense can go and score points, right, yep. from the offense, where baseball, you can't really do that. Um, you can help them score points by being really terrible at defense, but... Yeah, just pulling on that thread a little bit. I had to put the baseball plug in today, guys. Yeah, and then also just to kind of color that in a little bit, um, 
the reason I wrote this article, and we talked about, I, I think, a little bit last week on on, on podcast, is sometimes I, I think cash is underrated. Like I, when I talk to clients and we're building portfolios, I'm talking about cash a lot because I think cash plays defense. Um, like we've talked about, we've used terminology like safety nets or liquidity or, or, or whatnot. And I think sometimes people underappreciate cash and they try to put it in an offense position. They go say, uh, you know, I'm going to swap this cash out and I'm going to buy a fixed indexed annuity or something because now I'm going to get a little bit more of an interest or something like that. But you gave up liquidity mm. and you actually changed the profile of it. You're blurring those lines where you're expecting that position to play offense and defense. And I, I think that can get people in trouble. Yeah, I'm not a big uh, basketball or football fan. I like basketball. I'm more like uh, European football, which is soccer and rugby. So I'm not going to put that analogy out there. There But it made me think of expertise in the job place. You can't do everything well. You have to pick what you do well, right? So you can't be an expert at everything. You have to kind of have your you stay in your lane and then someone else is an expert in something else and you're complementary uh, so that's kind of how I interpret this whole analogy the other thing I wanted to say is it makes me think about of um, what you were talking about liquidity makes me think of this decision of taking a pension versus a lump sum and uh, all those decision of uh, growth uh, what is the most advantageous but we also always look at having that uh, that amount in cash versus or invested versus having a stream of income that's different. So I'm taking us maybe a little bit off topic there. No, I think you're making a good point, though, because when you go back to that pension analogy, you're saying, hey, some employees will get the opportunity to say you can have uh, an annuitized stream of income or you can have a lump sum of money. And a lot of times you can plug in the calculations to look at net present value and things like that. Um, let me kind of play both sides of it. Can there be a downside to taking the lump sum? Yeah, because then you have freedom to do whatever you want with it. Um, yeah. And that uh, steady base of income doesn't actually exist anymore. And it's that idea of mixing again, offense and defense and not having clarity on what the purpose of something is. And it's tailored to each client's situation so it's not a blanket statement take the lump sum take the pension it depends on what pension on the client situation their goals and what we're trying to achieve and how it complements the portfolio as well yeah absolutely and i I think that sometimes you you mentioned in the article that uh, owning something with purpose and sometimes it's hard for clients to explain what they own and why and i I think that's our industry's fault i I think that they have kind of set this expectation that things need to be complicated to combat people's fears. So how to combat, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, how to combat inflation, how to combat um, market volatility or geopolitical risk. And they think that it needs to be more complex. And then what happens is I've seen scenarios where they try to walk me through their portfolio and why they have things constructed. And they'll say, well, this portion is my defense or my saver money. And I refill it with my offensive money from here. And then I have these um, you know, very complex investment strategies. And, and I can tell that they're struggling on explaining it to me of what it is. And then I ask simple questions like, well, that I understand what you're saying, but what happens if we go through a market period that does this? Oh, well, then I would just have to, you know, figure it out or, or shuffle things around. And I can see them get flustered that it's a, it's too complex to understand and it doesn't fit together and it doesn't make sense. So the original problem that they're trying to solve, they actually made it worse. 
Yeah, I think when when we're talking about offense and defense, and we're talking about in the context of what we're talking about, I think a lot of clients approach a portfolio. And in the article, if if you're as you brought up, Trevor, if you have a client say, "Hey, you know, tell me why this is here, right? Give me a little bit of color as to why you own X, Y, or Z." I, in my experience, what I'll get is, well, because I want it to grow. It's, it's going to grow. And I think there's a, um, <clears throat> a blurring of lines between growth and strategy. They think that growth is a strategy to where I think the growth can be a strategy, but it's more of an end. And what we're talking about is how do we get the means to that end of growth? And I think clients confuse the means and the ends um, when they're coming to their portfolio and thinking, well, I own this because I want to grow. Um, and you're thinking, well, what's the underlying philosophy on what, how you're going to grow? Um, how is this complementing your entire state, your entire portfolio, and so forth? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more. So when they come and they say, hey, I own XYZ because I think uh, the growth prospects are really good, you, you're saying, okay, but what are those growth prospects fulfilling in the future or back to the planning? Maybe you can tell me a little bit more. Yeah, so if you have a client who says, yeah, I, I own Tesla and Amazon, for instance, great growth stocks that have been great tech stocks that have grown a lot, and you think, okay, but you're 72 and now you're going to start drawing income from your portfolio. So are we going to start selling and depreciating your portfolio now, right? Is that in alignment with your goals, with your entire right needs for your financial picture? And even taking a step a little bit back, when we think of offense and defense, I think the first thing to clarify that at least is really helpful for me when I'm talking with clients is what's your offense outside of your investment portfolio? So your pension would be an offense, your social security would be an offense as far as income coming in. And then what are what are your defense, your safety nets that are outside of this portfolio? Meaning that, you know, I have a couple clients who have contracts that if they're terminated, they get a lump sum. That helps me when I'm constructing a portfolio, knowing that if there's a liquidity event, if my client's fired and that income stream goes away, I can I have a better context of what kind of defense I need to put in that portfolio. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. And I think not to I really don't want to overuse this analogy, but um, like when any sports team uh, steps on the field, they're not stepping on the field blindly. They have a playbook. So what you're kind of saying is like you should have that playbook made beforehand because all the strategies that you're implementing, they have to align with that playbook. Absolutely. In our world, we call it financial planning. Um, And it's not always obvious, but I I like, just like you're saying, to be able to go to somebody and say, hey, if you want that to happen, what what objective is that going to fulfill? And kind of always bringing it back to that financial plan uh, to give understanding. And I think kind of what Sean spoke to is I think it should be palatable. Um, there's this idea of Occam's razor, like the simplest solution to get to the same conclusion. And I'm a big believer in that, that if, okay, describe to me what you want to accomplish. And then I'm just writing it down as you're saying it, this, this, and this. How do we do that in the simplest fashion? And in a simple fashion, it should be somewhat, like I said, palatable, that they could regurgitate this description of how the portfolio works to somebody else. And that's kind of why I came and started writing Thoughts on Money because I figured there's got to be a way that um, even a fourth grader could understand this and we should be able to use language uh, that makes it so um, A plus B equals C. That makes sense. Um, And that's where I agree with you a lot, Sean, is that people get in trouble when those things are a little bit murky. Mm -hmm. Um, And what ends up happening, uh, which I know can be so frustrating, is that when times are good, 
the defense of the portfolio is ugly and frustrating. And then when times are bad, the offense is ugly and frustrating. So they play this little game where they're like, when things are good, they deconstruct the defense Mm -hmm. uh, and think it doesn't matter anymore. And then when things are bad, they deconstruct the offense. And the timing of it is pretty horrible um, because uh, the offense gets its biggest momentum coming out of those moments and the defense is needed when things start to feel a little bit rich. And it could be weird for a listener hearing these words of offense and defense thinking like, oh, on the defense side or um, we're shorting the market or something like that. No, it's more of safety nets um, is to say there's a fallback plan that um, if God forbid something happened to me and I wasn't able to get my employment income, is there some sort of disability insurance? God forbid something happened to me and I uh, I, was, I was no longer here on earth. Um, is there a way that my family uh, receives some benefit that replaces my income? That's the defense type of conversation. Now, you can say you just gave two insurance examples. It doesn't have to be insurance, right? Like I said, it could be cash. What I'm, the reason I'm writing this article is that sometimes these things, insurance premiums or cash or whatever, are criticized uh, unfairly. Um, that they are very much needed in the portfolio and they allow the offense to do what it does by making sure that there's defense on the playing field. Yeah, I see it as one piece. So the portfolio is really one piece in the overall financial plan, which I view the financial plan at all aspects of the financial, uh, personal finances of someone. And so you have to have some insurance sometimes, uh, sometimes you don't. And some people need to understand why it's there and why they are doing what they do. And that's why I'm a big fan of simplification. When people come over, I like to help uh, facilitate that if I can. Simplification process of their accounts, their life, their decision, their situation, clarifying everything. So they have a better understanding of what they do. And then when it's uh, times of distress, they are not as willing to liquidate everything or make uh, drastic changes uh, at that point. The other thing uh, is, um, I lost my point. I'll come back to that. Oh, you find your point. We'll get back to you. Um, (laughs) No, I I like where you're going with that too, because uh, when we have talked about in past podcasts, this idea of consolidating accounts or getting advice from one source or whatever that might be, um, the reason is not that the other way doesn't work. It's that it's more likely to be simple, understood, and be able to execute on the plan when uh, things are organized and simple for the client. I found my point. Okay, Thank you. perfect. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that this article really summarized diversification, right? And how it's important to have a diversified portfolio, but also a diversified portfolio in light of everything else that you have in your financial life. And uh, it made me think of a quote of Michael Kitsis, who is a uh, thought leader in financial planning that was saying something, I'm paraphrasing, but something like diversification means that you will never do as well as the market and never do as bad as the market. So in time where it does good, you you will think you're underperforming. In type where, times where the market is really down, you will do better. And so you're never quite in line because your diversification allows you to have that, um, uh, not as, uh, your portfolio won't be as volatile, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes in line where there's an age old quote that says, uh, for some folks, concentration is a great way to become wealthy. It's a really bad way to stay wealthy. Yeah. And David Bonson on his Capital Record podcast, quick plug for David, uh, with John Malden, he mentions that 
if there isn't always something in your portfolio that you're not happy with, you're not diversified. And I, I that really stuck with me, and it, it made a lot of sense. Um, I have a question for the group, and Trevor talks about it in the article when he talks about HODL, hold on for dear life. And what he's referring to is in the markets that when there is volatility and you know that that uh, part of your portfolio is offense, so you're expecting the volatility, how do you separate the hold on for dear life with just anchoring? And so I guess I'll start with Trevor. Yeah, I uh, the reason I put that in this article is we talked about that last week. Um, I, I basically said uh, a, a good little adage we can steal from our cryptocurrency brethren, which I am not one of them, um, is that clever adage of uh, HODL, uh, hold on for dear life. The reason they do that is it... Um, helps them to endure, right? When things get crazy because cryptos, uh, cryptocurrencies have a high volatility. In this article, I wanted to actually clarify that um, that I talked about is that I think that's a good adage um, to give yourself a pep talk to say like, oh, this is crazy. This isn't permanent, but this is the way it feels right now. Um, but I, I titled that section uh, Fooled by Cleverness because I think the problem with that in that arena is the the belief system is that former highs of whatever cryptocurrency will be visited again and will be surpassed. And I actually don't think that's true. I think you can look back at the late 90s and look at some tech companies that had had stock prices, like great companies, ones you would be familiar with, um, that those stock prices are still 40% lower today than they were 20 years ago. So this idea of HODL, uh, it doesn't solve the problem when you overpay for something, when the valuations are so stretched. So I was uh, wanting to kind of even refine my thinking to say, you're going to need to tell yourself something to kind of endure through those times. Like, this is no surprise. This is to be expected. Frustrating, but I'll I'll get through this. But you also want to make sure that you're paying a fair valuation and that valuation absolutely matters. Uh, I talked about in this section that stock returns really boil down to um, earnings growth plus dividends paid out plus either a a, a contraction or expansion on the multiple of what somebody's willing to pay for those earnings. So those are really the only three inputs. If you find yourself buying something where the earnings aren't growing, there is no dividend, there is no growing dividend, um, and that multiple's just expanding, that will make you feel good today. The problem is that's where bubbles come from because when those multiples, meaning the price times earnings that you're paying, come back to reality, Sometimes you've stretched uh, or you've pulled forward future earnings for like 10 or 15 years, which means things can be flat for a really long time. And I don't think people always realize that. Uh, the last thing I say, because I, I know I'm being long-winded on this, but uh, I have friends where I see on social media where they're they're having that kind of uh, hodl mindset um, with some of the recent volatility in crypto. And the only thing I feel bad about is I know you can look at a small chart of something, uh, Bitcoin or something that's been around for X amount of years and see the times it's bounced back. But that says nothing about the future. And I don't think my friends understand that, that something could stay underwater or never touch those points again. And if you don't believe me, we're not allowed to talk about individual stocks on this podcast, but go look at some of the tech companies that existed in the late 90s and look at what their stock price is today. There are things that are great companies that are still underwater, meaning their stock price was worth 40% more 20 years ago. Um, HODL doesn't solve for that. True. That's very true. And uh, I mean, Drew, how many times have you heard 
a client and say, oh, I own this. I'm going to wait till it gets back to this stock price and then I'm going to sell it because that's what it was at before. Yeah, many times, many times. And Leslie, you're, you're smirking over there. I'm sure you've heard that a few times. Yes, uh, I, I was just thinking about all the market manipulation in, in the crypto market. It's kind of the wild, wild west and there's a new coin every day. I can't keep up with all of that. <laughs> and I mean... Full disclosure, right? I, I was not a financial advisor in the late 90s, but I read a lot of financial history. And that's why I challenge a lot of people is everything I read and understand about that era, it, it has inklings or feelings of what's going on right now. And I know Mark Twain is credited with way more quotes than he actually said, but there, there's something that's often credited him that says that history might not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. So that rhyming of late 90s, it feels like what we're experiencing now and you're not going to be able to time any of those things because like we talk about this podcast a lot is expensive things can get more expensive but my advice is get an understanding of valuation and why a price is that certain price so if you're going to go back to refine your portfolio and you've now separated it into two categories or two buckets to say here's my defense in case things go awry, and then over here is my offense, you can then start to um, modify some of those pieces to say, uh, are the valuations fair? Are the expected returns for this offense bucket good? And and that's where, uh, I don't know why, but like that's what I've been thinking about so much, is in that offense bucket, you have to think about what is the expected return of this asset. And you are definitely right if you say we can't forecast returns to the exact decimal. But there are some valuation tools that can give you a general idea of how this asset will perform over the next decade based on the current valuation. And if you use some of those metrics, you can refine that offense portfolio to be fitting for your financial plan. Like Leslie said, um, you'll always find a benchmark out there that beats you. You'll always find something that did better. You'll always find a neighbor that shares a story that you wish you were partaking in. But that's not what this is about. This is about your financial plan. So you can continue to refine that offense bucket and make sure that the expected returns match what your financial plan needs. It's also hard in, uh, or easy in hindsight to say, oh, I should have got in at this point and I could have made like $100,000 and get out. But how would you know? It's easy to look back and talk about it, but on the spot, it's just uh, you need to have a steady strategy, uh, ongoing strategy where you don't need to actually look at it every day and try to make those decisions. I think about that all the time when people talk about making adjustments in March of last year. And it's so easy now to say, oh, of course, you should have made this shift or make that change. And then I think about some of the conversations I had with people then. And that would have been the last thing that they would have been willing to do because uh, it was hard enough just keep getting them to keep the course. So it's uh, a very good point, Leslie. So there's an underground world out there. It's not really underground. It's just not talked about a lot. But the people that make careers out of trading, like um, uh, Paul Tudor Jones or, or, or these people that, like, they've done it. They've accomplished it. And if you ask one of those people about success or kind of the clues that you see left behind, those people journal. And the reason that they journal is because they'll tell you that the person that lies to you the most is yourself. <laughs> um, and, and I've kind of taken to that truth, uh, even in just kind of uh, predicting sports stuff. I try to really remember what I thought or write it down. And then I, it's funny how wrong I am all the time. Uh, but we don't remember that when we go out for a game of golf. We remember the great shots. We yep. don't remember the, the duffs or uh, into OB or something like that. And we joked about it since we're talking sports. We can say this about like 
I really thought Cam Newton on the Patriots was going to be a, a great marriage. I was and just I, thinking that, yeah, as you're saying. <laughs> and, and I was wrong. Um, and it's good to kind of write those things down and, and really uh, kind of put it in your face. Or it doesn't matter how big of a college basketball fan you are and how much you know, um, you're going to lose to uh, a fourth grader when it comes to the March Madness brackets. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, that, that skill doesn't really prevail, and it's actually on paper. So the point that I'm making is great traders – record all of that stuff and they go back and look and criticize and critique and and figure out how to refine uh their trade um because we can fib to ourselves a lot of the time yeah we naturally do human nature and i know david talks about this a bit and and it should be talked about is our worst enemy is ourselves right and especially uh especially I would say in the last hundred years, there's a great writer named G.K. Chesterton, he's a favorite writer of mine, not to get too philosophical, but it kind of elaborates on the point here, is that he says the, uh, the man of old never doubted truth, but would always doubt himself. But the modern man never doubts himself, but always doubts the truth. And it's this idea that, that we intuitively as modern people want to trust ourselves, but we're our worst critics because we have that tendency to lie and to not really see things clearly that's why the best um the best remedy for that is to have somebody outside of you with a fair and sober assessment really help right to to bring clarity and to show you your blind spots and that takes humility um which is really really difficult um for a lot of us including myself i can do your financial plan if you want (laughs) (laughs) yeah and there's there's a scripture you'll know it i i won't know it off the top of my head but kind of something to the extent of like woe to the man that falls by himself and has no one to pick him up, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that speaks to our industry. If you can find a trustworthy advisor, uh, that's what they're there for, um, which we don't like words like accountability or blind spots or things like that. Um, so it's a thought partner, right? Somebody that you sit next to um, that has uh, every incentive to see you be successful. Like they are your safari guide. They are, that's their, their J-O-B to help you do that. Um, and that's kind of a, a good way for us to wrap this up. Uh, fun analogies about sports and offense and defense, but really what it boils down to is that your portfolio is made up of multiple parts and that you and your advisor should sit down together and understand how those different parts work, how they integrate with one another, and in different market environments, how they behave. Because in the different market environments, that's when you're kind of bifurcating between the offense and defense, that you need something um, to basically weather the storm, uh, not to even give you returns sometimes, just to give you access to your money um, without having to sell things at depressed values. So we could talk about that all day, um, but the encouragement is to set up a time with your advisor and just have that educational conversation. Let's let's look at my roster. This is the roster of investments that I own. Let's go player by player, investment by investment, and understand how they all work together and what my expectations should be. Otherwise, you're going to criticize the defense when the offense is crushing it or when the offense is failing, you're going to want to beef up the defense. Um, and those usually aren't the good time to make those decisions. So as always, I will ask that you rate the podcast. Uh, comments are always welcome. You can email tom at thebonsagroup.com. You can uh, address that email to Sean or Trevor or Drew or Leslie, uh, whoever you'd like. We'd be uh, happy to answer any questions you have, um, any show ideas, uh, any topics you want us to talk about. All are welcome. Um, and we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money.
Swanson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.